Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing. Projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today, we're back with Punk1806 with three Addies. She's got hot lipstick, dark hair, and the iconic pirate eye patch. In real life, she's a PhD candidate researching forests and human health at the University of British Columbia, and currently also serves as a health practitioner. Please welcome Tara Tiger Brown to the show. Tara, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Nice to uh, finally meet. I think Sean's uh, been trying to connect us for uh, for a while now. So, uh, and I do apologize for uh, rescheduling you as well. But um, nice to finally sort of meet. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And. So Tara, um, you've got an interesting name, Tiger, isn't it? Um, what's the story behind Tiger Tara Brown, or is, is that your sort of real name? Yes, there's a story behind all parts of my name. So starting with Tara, uh, my dad chose Tara after a character in the 60s British spy TV show, The Avengers. Uh, the Canadian actress <laughs> Linda Thorson played Tara King. So that's Tara. Uh, Tiger is a nickname my dad gave me since I was born. It was always, he would call me Tiger or Tiger Brown. Uh, I'm not really sure why. Uh, unfortunately, he died uh, more than a decade ago. Um, and after he died, then I adopted Tiger to remember him. Uh, Brown is really, my grandfather's from the UK. Uh, my whole family's from there. and. Uh, I did a deep dive on my family tree and mapped out all the towns from Wales, Ireland to Germany. Um, and so like very deeply embedded over in that part of the world. And so that is the story behind my name. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, thanks for the, for, for the insight. Um, and, uh, all of them have a special meaning, which is, uh, which is brilliant. And, but you said you've got a, a British sort of heritage, but, um, you're based out of Canada, but. Is it, you've got an American accent? Did you, were you spending a bit of time in the US or? Yes, I've lived in, well, so I'm originally from Vancouver. I'm like sixth, seventh generation Canadian. But after college, I moved to the Bay Area. So I was working for Microsoft in the Bay Area. Um, so I lived in San Francisco, uh, Sunnyvale, uh, Seattle, and Los Angeles. So, and you know, for 17 years, I was living in the US. Um, and then I uh, moved to Tokyo for a few years until we moved back to Vancouver so that I could go work on my PhD. Amazing. Well, I think you sort of dabbled onto it a little bit, but um, might might be good if you could just share a little bit about your sort of personal back, background. And I'd love to sort of hear how you uh, met Sean Bonner, a fellow punk that I've had on Punkcast as well. I think you, you guys might be the first punk couple that I've actually interviewed. So it'd um, be good to sort of hear your your, your story. Yeah, we're a pirate punk couple. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I possess an interdisciplinary background, so blending really technology and health and education. 
So I am pursuing my PhD in forestry at UBC, where I'm researching really uh, health outcomes of touching grass, <laughs> uh, <laughs> more specifically forest bathing. So for those of you that are not familiar with forest bathing, it's a practice called Shinrin-yoku in Japan. And it's a simple practice of immersing yourself in the forest, really opening up your senses to you know, maybe promoting health or preventing um, like stress or reducing stress or even reducing blood pressure. There's tons and tons of benefits that are uh, really uh, we're learning about. Um, and so when we're living in Japan, that is when I became acquainted with Shinrin Yoku because I was a stressed out tech startup founder living there. And it had such a positive impact on me that I ended up becoming certified in forest therapy. So I take people on forest bathing walks. Um, and so my entrepreneurial journey really includes, I founded a tech startup called KitHub, which was to provide uh, STEM kits, hands-on projects for kids uh, in underserved communities in Title I schools across the U.S. So, you know, there's schools across the U.S. even today where uh, they don't have access to learning how to code or even some, you know, science uh, initiatives, et cetera, that you might get in more uh, uh, schools that have a lot more funding to them. Um, I also founded Connected Camps with academics at UC Irvine in California to develop programs to utilize Minecraft to teach children how to code and other skills. Um, and shout out to Velco who plays with my kid and my kid learned because, you know, we started that, that tech startup and now he's amazing and I probably one of the best Minecraft builders I know. Um, and I mentioned that I also worked at, at Microsoft for a long time. Um, I worked at Shazam for any of those that have used that app to figure out what a song is. And I also worked at Born This Way Foundation, which was founded by Lady Gaga um, and her mom uh, with a mission to support the wellness of youth, including dealing with bullies and bullying. Uh, and I'm almost done. Sorry, it feels long, but this is my life. Um, I co-founded the nonprofit <laughs> Los Angeles Makerspace, uh, which we scaled by partnering with LA Public Libraries, which there's 156 of them, to reach underserved communities. So again, kids could have equitable opportunities to learn coding and STEM skills. And it was through that that I was really fortunate to be interviewed and invited more than once to the White House um, with others that were working towards democratizing access to education. Um, so, you know, I think a combination of all that, including living and working in Seattle and San Francisco and LA and Tokyo and back to Vancouver, you know, I think it's given me a real global mindset and a commitment to, uh, developing inclusive solutions. That's really important to my value system. Wow. Tara, I don't, I don't know where to start. I, I think, um, I could see why, you found a partner in Sean. It feels like he's he's done a lot of different uh, things in life as well. Maybe we can sort of start a little bit um, for the break. In, in terms of your studies, like what, what was your actual discipline? Like, um, were you more of a a tech person or more of a business person? Like, what what, what was you sort of um, studying earlier on? Both. I mean, it was technology management. So the idea was to be a manager on working on tech projects. Um, and I'm really, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> my dad, though, he was an entrepreneur. Um, and my, you know, I had some uncles and aunts that had gone to the school that I went to, which was British Columbia Institute of Technology for um, my bachelor's. And I was more inclined, I think, to become an actress or 
work with animals or something like that. I wanted to take a gap year, go to Australia. No, if you do that, you'll never go back to school. Um, so that's why <laughs> I ended up there, uh, you know, going to BCIT. And I mean, it served me well, but, you know, I think that I'm more inclined to sort of creative projects. You know, I love fiction writing. Like I always participate in NaNoWriMo, which is happening right now. So that's the National Novel Writing Month. This happens every November. And, uh, you know, I've worked with my kid on two NFT projects now. I mean, he's the artist as well as, you know, uh, my partner, Sean. But, you know, I really like participating in the just those creative endeavors. So I think that's probably why I'm drawn to NFTs in general, because it just feels like there's opportunity for you know, everyone to sort of have input into the creative process. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm into a couple of those crows, by the way. Um, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool project. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, and, and then, so, so what was your transition? I mean, you, you went through Microsoft, uh, and then you sort of ventured out on your own as an entrepreneur. How, how of all things have you ended up in sort of studying forests? Like what was that sort of decision mm -hmm. process? Well, yeah, so I was at Microsoft and that's, you know, uh, then I went to South by Southwest and it, when was this? 2007, I went to South by Southwest when it was still cool to go there. <laughs> it was still fun and not too big, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, in that same year I went to bar camps and I start, I, I ran a bar camp in Seattle and other unconferences and, uh, it was just like, this experience, like, wow, you know, like just everything was a little bit more open and inclusive and I didn't feel like you were so boxed into different ideas or you're know, working in a big corporation and tech startups were really, you know, uh, starting to take off. And so I wanted to try something new. And also that's when I met Sean, actually, we met at a last FM party at South by Southwest in 2007. And, uh, where was it? 2008. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. We just had our anniversary on Halloween. And so now I'm like, oh, no, was it 2007 or 2008? Anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, that. so I left to go kind of figure out this whole tech startup thing. And so my tech startup, GitHub, uh, and LA Makerspace included uh, looking at citizen science, community science, and environmental monitoring was part of that. And so that's when I really became interested in anything to do with pollution. So air quality, light pollution, um, uh, noise pollution, that continued when I was in Japan. Uh, and, you know, I looked for, you know, where was the darkest spot in Tokyo? You know, like super fun thing to do, not easy to do. Uh, where was the quietest spot in the busiest park, Yogi Park in Tokyo? Uh, and just love those kinds of projects. And so that combined with you know, learning about forest bathing and just being curious, is this a practice that, you know, could be uh, some, you know, something that people back home in BC, which I think of as a high octane recreationally focused province would do? Would they slow down and just hang out in the forest or they always have to be mountain biking or hiking or doing something else? So I was just curious and I wanted to do something different. I was really kind of tired of being in tech for so long at that point and being in front of screens. I wanted to be outside. 
um, you know, I had trained with a mountain monk, right? Where I was like doing like these like crazy things and I just, I want to do something new. Um, so that's really kind of the path that got me to deciding to go into research, you know, and I had worked at UC Irvine for a while with academics, you know, and with the LA makerspace too, where just a lot of academics in my world and most of them told me not to go get my PhD, you know, like you're not going to want to do it. It's, you're not going to like how sort of strict that experience is. And, uh, you know, you, you don't need to prove yourself that way. You know, you can do this without going back to school. But uh, because I was already doing so much research anyways, because I enjoyed it so much, you know, I'm, I just want to be recognized for that, you know. So, and I think it also gets, you know, you know, did a lot of doors to, um, by, you know, you know, through the affiliation with the institution you're in. Um, you know, and other sort of fellowships that I have now. So I think it's been really beneficial for me. Amazing. How long were you in Japan for? I mean, I absolutely love Tokyo. Yeah, we lived there for three years, but I started going to Japan in 2004 uh, when I was with Microsoft. I was working on a, a, a partner project there. And then um, after the Fukushima disaster in 2011, you know, Sean started going there for uh, the SafeCast project that he's a he's you know the global director for. And so you know we started going like well he was going really frequently, and then as a family we'd go at least every year. And actually that's why we decided to move there is was he was like essentially commuting from LA to Tokyo, and I mean it was becoming really challenging for our family you know uh, me and my kid really we missed them and so I thought well why don't we just move there you know see what it's like um and then you know after three years it was the question was you know we kept having to renew our visa every year and it's hard to plan your life right when you're not sure if it's going to be renewed or not and uh and then I knew that I wanted to do my PhD and it would be really much easier for us to do it if I was doing it back home in Vancouver Gotcha. Um, no, I, I absolutely love Tokyo. I just spent uh, a bit of time there in October with uh, my, my partner as well. And what, one of the things that I really appreciate about Japanese culture is they really do respect and appreciate um, nature. Um, you know, went on some of the, uh, I think they took us on some of the hikes out there and it's absolutely beautiful out towards um, Mount Fuji way, but it's absolutely peaceful, serene. And so I, I can... I can totally get the appeal of disconnecting um, from the world um, and all the devices that we already have. And, and to may maybe this is actually a great product that um, that the NFT DGENs might need at some stage uh, when they <laughs> need to essentially touch grass. Um, but but it's super super fascinating as well. So like, um, could you walk us through at a high level, you know, what forest bathing actually is, and 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 and, and what what we could expect to get out of that. Yeah, forest bathing, the idea really came from initially from the uh, director of the forest agency in Japan in the early 80s. So he had, uh, he was facing this issue where the forests of Japan were just not being managed very well for a bunch of reasons. And also, this is a time when the there was this shift to urbanization. So people were, young people especially, were moving out from the countryside to the cities. And doctors were all of a sudden seeing a bunch of people showing up, like, really stressed out, you know, the especially the, the male office workers. 
Um, and so this, there was this book that was written by a Soviet chemist, BP token and a, uh, Japanese professor that was sort of discussing this idea of these mysterious, you know, chemicals coming out of trees, these phytoncides, um, which are essentially biogenic, volatile, organic compounds. So say that three times fast. Uh, but really, they're these like the terpenes that are coming out of these trees. So the things that trees need to protect themselves from pests and pathogens, and they also use as sort of like a communication tool. Um, and so this theory was that by breathing in these compounds that the trees are emitting, they can provide actually health benefits for humans. Um, you know, and if you really think back, humans, you know, we've been evolving either if you think about Homo sapiens for a couple hundred thousands of years, but if you go all the way back for millions and millions of years to get to where we are today, right? So biologically, we are attuned to being in natural environments. We are not attuned to being in these built environments separated from the ground through cement and rubber shoes and all these kinds of things, or being in, you know, these boxes that we're living in, right? We're attuned to being in natural environments with fractal patterns and changing in natural light patterns and et cetera, et cetera, right? So um, the idea with forest bathing really comes from that, where you're just immersing yourself in these natural environments as if you were living in them, which means that you're interacting with them using all of your senses that are available to you. Right, you're breathing in the air. You're touching the plants. You're eating the eating the plants. Um, you're uh, sort of you know smelling everything and uh, viewing these patterns and listening to the natural soundscape. So you know your five senses are you know we have more senses than that, but you know essentially that's the idea. And so an example of how this is can be beneficial. So. You know, we are, we all face fatigue when we are very focused, right? We're focused on reading things on our screen, doing work, etc. But we hit a wall because it is not possible for us to humans to be able to focus for more than a certain period of time. And the theory is that if we were sort of out, you know, in the natural environment that we're biologically attuned to, we need to be worried about things around us, you know, dangers, essentially, right? So if we are so focused all the time on something, we would not be aware of danger around us. And so that's for the theory why you can't focus for, you know, really, it's, I guess, really 90 minutes is really, I think, the general idea of like where you need to take breaks, right? 45, 90 minutes uh, blocks. And so the way that you can sort of reduce that mental fatigue that happens and increase your focus again is by viewing the natural environment. So things like what's called soft fascination. So Stephen and Rachel Kaplan are environmental psychologists in the 80s. Their theory is uh, the attention restoration theory. And so by soft fascination, what that means is by looking at things like fractal patterns new. You know, like leaves, branches on trees, shells, or you can look at clouds floating by, the, you know, waves kind of lapping, that sort of thing. And so that is easier for our brains to process than sort of these like hard lines, angular, you know, just the way that everything is sort of boxy in uh, uh, built environments. It's just it's just because we're attuned to it. It's easier for us. And so you're giving your brain a break when you're viewing these things and that will reduce your fatigue and also these other theories that'll say it reduces your stress because um 
essentially built environments, whether it's, you know, loud noises or air pollution or light pollution, all these things can increase our cortisol levels. So in that kind of, we have this sort of constant stress that's happening and sure we're adaptable and all that, but there's only so much we can take, right. When we're just are not built for it. Um, and so that can also reduce our stress and our cortisol levels, reduce our blood pressure, all those things. And, you know, and all this is general, everybody are, we're individuals and we have different responses depending on kind of what our health is um, and where we're living, our geographic location, our culture, our spirituality, all those things can have an impact, but that's just generally how it works. So, um, so like if you can get outside and even if it's for five, 10 minutes, just like get away, look outside, look out, even a window is great. Uh, but if you don't have access to that, um, you know, even looking at a photo of, uh, you know, a nature scene, vegetation plus water in particular is a good combination. There's 360 videos or VR experiences that you can view, but essentially the real experience is best because you have that multi-sensory experience, you know, and at some point I'm sure we'll have an immersive VR experience where you're smelling and being able to touch things and all those things that can mimic, you know, what happens outdoors, but we're not there yet. That's super cool. So in terms of time frame, five to 10 minutes is okay. Are there any different types of forests or anything like that or just being out in nature? Any any form of nature is suitable as well? Well, yeah, there's a long list of criteria and that's something that I do my assessment on. But that said, really, you know, the key things to consider are like, do you feel safe in that environment? Because if you don't feel safe, then that's not going to be a good place for you to be. Um do you, is it something that's, you know, if it's something you want to do more regularly actually is better for you. So just, it's not meditation, but similar to meditation, there's evidence that says it's better for you to meditate, you know, for short periods of time regularly than just one big dose of it every week, right? You'll that kind of accumulative uh, uh, benefits or adds up, right? So, you know, a place that you can go to regularly and easily and don't have to think about it is, is best. So even if it's just, you know, a sit spot where you can sit outside, maybe it's just a tree you have or your garden or something like that is good. Um, you know, the other recommendation, though, is to kind of mix it up a little bit because what can happen is if you say you're going to the same place all the time and sitting in the same place all the time, you stop kind of seeing the environment because you think, well, I already know what this looks like. I don't need to look at that anymore. Right. So, you know, even if you sort of go to a slightly different part of a park that you like to go to or sit differently on the ground one day on a bench the other, just kind of mix it up a little bit. So you're seeing different parts of the environment, then that really helps. Um, obviously if you have allergies, that's not a good thing. So, you know, I like to think of it and what I'm trying to work on with my research and, you know, my application of it is this idea of like a dynamic park brochure where we can take into account different attributes of these green spaces in a dynamic way, meaning that we're taking into account seasonal variations, what the environment is like. So in BC, we've been really dealing with wildfire smoke, like on Australia, right? Lots of wildfires are happening. And obviously you can be in a forest, but if there's a bunch of like smoke coming in, like that's also uh, not good for your health. So we need to think about these things. And, you know, in the advent of climate change, we're going to see more and more um, extreme weather events happen that are going to affect or, you know, our time outdoors. Um, again, so that's why I think also thinking about, you know, what our indoor strategies are, are, you know, just as important. 
Um, so, you know, really the things to consider are, do you like that space? Because liking it is a good thing. Um, if you can have vegetation plus water features, that's really nice too. You know, listening to water is nice. If it's got high biodiversity, it's good because there's more likelihood that you're going to be able to hear birds, you know, other sort of like, you know, insects and so forth that, you know, are beneficial to listen to. Um, yeah, you know, I think in a nice place to sit so you can just relax is also good. So, so preferably a place without uh, tigers and bears where you can actually just uh, st yeah. stroll and uh, relax a little bit. Um, yeah. Aw awesome. That, that, that's uh, super fantastic to sort of hear. And um, I think many of us can sort of take a bit of a step back and, and go for a bit of a stroll and, uh, and forest bathe as well, especially uh, in this sort of NFT environment that we're in. Um, but although having said that, I think we've come back a little bit overnight, um, which is a positive thing. But I'd be interested to sort of hear your um, crypto and NFT journey. Um, you know, how did you sort of start venturing into crypto and NFTs? Oh, crypto. Wow. Well, we learned about Bitcoin pretty early, so early that we, we, I don't know if Sean told this story, but I remember in LA, we had like a garage sale and a friend of ours bought a kettle from us with, with Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. No, it's like it's like our pizza, pizza, pizza story. We always laugh about it. I think he chuckles, but not in the same way we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know. We I remember like we bought some Bitcoin, not like a lot, but you know, we did this weird transaction where we had to send some cash to some guy who then like got it for us. And so, you know, obviously that would never happen now, but that's how we got it. You know, this was like we didn't. We didn't know how to buy it, you know, um, what, I don't even know what year that was. Um, but then uh, I remember in 2017, I distinctly remember being in a coffee shop with Sean in LA and he was telling me about CryptoPunks. He's like, yeah, like we heard it. I think he's heard it from our, that same friend that bought our kettle from us from uh, with Bitcoin, who's like telling us about <laughs> CryptoPunks. He's like, yeah, I don't know how to buy it. It's like a thing I have to trade. And I was like, oh, God, like we were about to move to Japan, right? And I had my tech startup and my nonprofit. I was like hella busy. And so like, I don't know, dude, like I don't have time. I don't have any brain power to even think about this. Sounds cool. You figure it out, right? So we think back at that, just like, oh, it's so hard not to, I just cannot think about it because I make me so <laughs> mad. Um but really, that's kind of, you know, our, our start in it. And then we ignored it, you know, for most of the time we were in Japan, you know, until we needed some money to move back to Vancouver. And so, you know, we sold something and that was bad news. But, um, you know, we needed the money. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was there at the very beginning. And what was your first uh, NFT, Tara? Yeah. The first one, I think, was a Super Yeti. Um, I was looking back at my wallet. I know it's like funny, embarrassing, but also hilarious. So the June, 2021, I minted super Yeti number two, five, seven, and he's got like boxing gloves. And, um, I think that we learned about it. I want to say in clubhouse probably. Right. Um, and I don't really remember why I just remember the drama. I remember this is when people were really getting upset about roadmaps and 
promises being scrutinized. It was really toxic. And I just remember just being super annoyed. But also in the same month, thankfully, um, I got Punk Cats number 260. And the founder is wonderful and really beautiful community. And she treated my kids so well. And he actually became the first Discord moderator. You know, this, my little, he's like, I don't know, how old is he then? Like, so much younger. That was, yeah. So, I don't know, I guess, yeah, he was not a, definitely not a teen yet then. Um, but it was just like a really nice experience. So it gave me hope, you know, for what was going on in, in that community. Oh, amazing. Uh, I do remember Yeti's, um, it became the joke of Twitter for a while. I think they did uh, <laughs> a bit of a rug pull back then. Yes. Um, and um, talk to me about your your punk. Um, yeah. When did you get your punk? And I think how were you sort of looking through traits, uh, thinking about traits? Uh, so near Valentine's Day, February 17th of this year. Um, really? Like, so... Sean wanted to get another one and, you know, and I was interested, I just kind of was sort of playing along, you know, with his experience in, in that community and, uh, her communities. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, we thought, oh, okay, you know, is this something you want to participate in? You told me, you know, there's not, does it seem like there's very many females in this space and there seems, and they seem pretty cool, the ones that are in there. And I, you know, might uh, have some shared interests with them. And so I said, okay, cool. And then we wanted to match. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to get the, the eye patch. Um, at first, actually, I was looking at, there's like a, a more, I can't remember which number she was, but she looked more like a housewife from Japan. And I just thought that would be funny. But then that's when we thought, no, we, we need to match. So that's that's why we ended up with the 1806. Gotcha. Now she's cool. So it's, uh, for those that are listening, it's punk 1806 um, with the dark hair, sort of like the Bob 60s hair, uh, eye patch and uh, hot lipstick. And it's, uh, gotta say, it's a fine looking, looking couple because uh, Sean's got the uh, eye patch uh, and the frown as well. So uh, so standing next to each other, you, you guys look like a, a beautiful couple. Um, we do and, look and, good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, you know, uh, what was your sort of journey into the CryptoPunks community? Like how did you find, I guess, the initiation and, uh, uh, and sort of, you know, uh, getting a little bit more active in the community? Um, well, I mean, Sean definitely, in, you know, invited me to all the things. <laughs> so it was like a bit overwhelming at first. Um, but then, you know, like, uh, he then introduced me to Julie and, you know, I thought, well, I really actually felt a little overwhelmed by, you know, the Telegram groups and just you I know, can discord and stuff. Yeah. And I just, I and just, I'm so busy <laughs> working on my school that I couldn't handle it. I mean, and I had, you know, I was part of a DAO for a while and, um, you know, was helping with the membership of that, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I, I kind of left it with a bad experience. And I just had left discord for a bit and I didn't really want to deal with that. So, um, then I thought, well, how do I meet the other female punks? And then so Julie and I, we started a Discord just for female punks. 
Um, and we actually, we have a Twitter yeah, list too, um, for anybody that is interested. If you look at my, my Twitter, uh, uh I guess it's X, uh, at Tara, there's a list it's called Fempunks. Fempunks, I want to say, yeah, Fempunks or something like that. Anyway, there's, um, uh, how many of them are, I think there's 26 members in that list. Um, so, you know, maybe there's more female punks, uh, I'm not sure, but we also have a discord. It's one of the only ones I really pay attention to. Um, but I would say, you know, when I meet punks in person, that's nice for me. Um, I struggle a little bit, I think just keeping up with the personalities, uh, seem sometimes a little different. (laughs) and telegram than when i meet them in person so um that's sort of always my hope they, you know when we went to are, the people event uh, sorry what are they are they nicer in person or more of a more of an asshole in person no definitely nicer well like we had a nice group like falco had we had a house he he rented a house and we stayed at for the people event and so i met some nice. of them there and everybody was lovely it was really nice um also just shout out to natalie stone who is probably the nicest person i've ever met on the planet like the punks community is so lucky so lucky to have her like i don't think that i don't know just lovely um uh so no, anyway N- like N- I natalie's, just... a, N- natalie's a star um she, really, she genuinely just cares incredible. about punks and she she, she listens so to so authentic right like and i think that's just the thing that I, I try to really look for is that authenticity, which is can be so hard to find right now. I think in in Web three and NFTs and stuff. I think in the beginning, I felt it was much easier, but now it's like it's just too big and far gone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it's it's super challenging as well because um, to manage something like CryptoPunks. You can't just put anybody in there. Like I think if you were to put just a general manager that's just you know from a corporate sort of background, um, it's going to be really challenging. But I think she's um, really leaned into it and really tried to get to know everybody and taking the time with it too. So uh, genuinely, sort of cares about the space and 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 she's a female, right? So um, which is sort of great. Which we uh, need a bit more diversity in uh, the the community as well. But um, that that that's great that you've got a um. Uh, a side sort of female sort of community going on. I, I might I might just uh, pin, uh, grab the link off you later on, and I'll include it in the show notes. So if any female sort of listeners out there um, that are interested in joining, they should sort of definitely tag on. Cool. Um, just going back to dream punks. It, I mean, if uh, money wasn't an issue, would you have a uh, a dream punk in mind, uh, or any traits, or anything that you would uh, prefer over your beautiful pirate punk? I really do love that big crazy hair that big black crazy hair i forget what that trait's called um is it wild hair oh love that hair so much oh oh, and the glasses the um you know the sort of shades like with the brown tint on them oh okay classic shades yes that that combo i love that combo and um if you had to look across i guess the punk community um do you have any punk personalities that come to mind i know you sort of said that you found telegram uh the people there not overwhelming but just sort of a little bit hard to sort of get on top of but um are you familiar with any any sort of punks that sort of come to mind that would be uh sort of uh, your favorite ah uh, 
Well, you know, I, I really appreciate, well, I mean, I think that there's definitely some female punks, like the artists that share a lot, like there's Suzanne NFT, for example, just like really, like really nice, like sharing and sort of uplifting the community, um, you know, the, or share like just the behind the scenes of their, uh, creative process. Um, and that just. So I wouldn't say that I, I have a favorite, but I have, I think I have a favorite way of embracing and contributing to the community. Um, and so, you know, and, and I, I also want to say, which, you know, I don't know if you were going to bring it up or not, but you know, like I genuinely equally like both the V1 and the V2 community. Um, and I know this is like very controversial, but you know, I'm not so into the space that I'm super concerned about saying that but i also have met wonderful people uh you know that are v1 holders and um uh i don't know like i guess the, you know and I, i've talked about my background right and just being inclusive and um that's really important to me and uh more than you know kind of worried about things that some other people are and I, I understand I understand the concerns um, but they're not mine and so um, I just want to give a shout out to that community that's been working so hard also to be inclusive and um, just generally fun to be around no it's good that you sort of uh, answered that it was generally a question that I normally ask as well around v1 punk so uh, it's good to know that you're positive V1 punks. And I think Sean is clearly a uh, V1 um, punk supporter as well. So uh, all, good, all good on that front. Um, and then how would you describe punk culture for you though? Uh, well, I mean, there's like crypto punks and punk culture, right? And so like for me, you know, I early on in my life, like a huge Henry Rollins fan, you know, like I listened to spoken word albums and performances and just in general, like sort of critiquing social political issues and, you know, sort of just general, like what it means to be a nonconformist. And that was always very influential for me and in everything I've done in my life um, to my detriment in some cases. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I see that reflected, you know, in with some uh, of the community in, in CryptoPunks uh, that, uh, you know, I, it really resonates with me. Um, so, you know, I would say that generally for it's the nonconformist, like, look, you know, we're trying to be bad, change the world, you know, those punks that are looking at environmental issues, education issues that are trying to contribute to, you know, make society better for everybody, leveraging, you know, this immense, you know, uh, sort of valuable, uh, you know, object that they have for positive means. I think that that's, that's an important aspect of it. Nice. Nice. You said, um, and I guess if you could pass on a message, to the next owner of your punk, 1806, Tara. What would you like mm -hmm. to say to them? So uh, before I do, I'm just going to give a little background on this. So um, early on when Sean and I were dating, we went on a road trip 
from Seattle, where I was living at the time, to Los Angeles, where he was living. And during that road trip, we stopped in Oregon at the Goonies house. And we uh, <laughs> also, we ended up buying, and you know, we huge fan of, you know, Goonies movie and just kind of the ethos behind that message in that movie, you know, and uh, we bought skull rings and I found a picture of myself actually with a we were there and I had like a pirate patch on. And so, you know, like that, you sort of that pirate culture, you know, punk culture, there's like a lot of overlap there, right? Between that, you know, sort of this anti-establishment sentiment and DIY ethos, and symbols of rebellion and, you know, this sort of communal living. There's even, you know, gender nonconformity, you know, in both aspects and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on, alternative communities, so forth. And so that's, you know, going back also, why do we have this like pirate patch couple? You know, it's just, it's very meaningful to us. Um, so that is the lead up to what I would like to say, if and uh, anybody ever ends up with 1806. So are you ready? Here it goes. Goonies never say die. Don't you realize <laughs> the next time you see Sky... It'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now, they got to do what's right for them. Because it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over <laughs> the second we ride up Troy's bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well done. Thank you so much, Tara. I, I, I must admit, I, I didn't pry into um, how you guys actually met. You said that you met at, um, was it South by Southwest? But um, yeah. who, who, pulled the, who, who pulled the first move? Like, let's get that story out. Like, <laughs> Okay, well, the story, okay. So we met that night, um, but he kind of freaked me out. Like, I don't know. He was on some mission with his friends and like, clearly, you know, I had a few too many drinks and I handed him like a few too many business cards. Um, but actually the next day, uh, cause we had a mutual, a mutual friend, McMinn, uh, the next day we ended up meeting up at a coffee shop and, uh, we hung out for a bit. And we found out that actually we were both going through divorces at the time. We had been married for exactly the same amount of time and we were getting divorced at exactly the same time. Uh, and, you know, he, you know, so we bonded over that. But then also really the clincher was he showed me how to properly peel a banana. <laughs> so it is not you. You got to get the handle and peel the other way. So. Uh, you know, there's that. And then also, you know, he showed me how to properly eat a cupcake, which is that you got to twist off that top, flip it over and make a sandwich. So, you know, those <laughs> those two things where I was like, OK, I'm learning new things from this guy. He makes me laugh. He's, you know, he's kind of interesting. So, you know, we were friends after that. But then, you know, after that road trip or Goonies road trip, then, you know, we stayed started dating. What a sweet, super love story. Um, and I should mention, actually, I want to mention one last thing, because this is really crazy. We uh, we got married 10 months after we met, <laughs> even though wow. we had just sort of got over our own divorces. So, um, yeah, 
<laughs> we've been married 15 years uh, as of Halloween. So a punk, a punk made match made in heaven. Um, <laughs> that's such a fantastic story. Tara, this is super fun. Thank you so much for your time uh, and joining Punkcast. You know, any final closing comments uh, and, you know, what's the best way for people to find you? Um, yeah, I just say that, uh, you know, diversity makes the world a better place. Research substantiates that. And uh, just, you know, let's try to be as inclusive as we can in this community. Um, and I just, you know, I'm excited to meet more punks. Please reach out anytime if uh, you have want more information on forest bathing and how being around, you know, uh, in forests and nature can help your health. Um, you can find me. I'm on X, X Twitter um, I'm at Tara, uh, T-A-R-A. Uh, my website is taratigerbrown.com. And uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. So thanks so much for having me. I look forward to getting to know the punks community better. I am definitely new to it, only having joined this year. And uh, hopefully I'll meet more people in person. Absolutely. Um, Tara, thank you so much. Uh, it was really nice meeting you and I hope to catch you at one of these um, punk events as well. And uh, really delighted to have you on board and, and diversify our mix uh, from the, the male ratio to the female ratio. Just want a little <laughs> bit more. So um, so thank you for that. Uh, guys, that wraps up our episode of Punkcast for the week. And we'll be back next week with another awesome punk. Bye for now. Bye.